Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Good morning, New Covenant. Such a friendly, loving bunch. Hey, this morning, I get to just be a guy who's in service. You're going to get to hear from a good buddy of mine. Uh, Reason being, we're technically not supposed to be here. Um, In five days, we are celebrating our 22-year anniversary, so we're super excited about that. Yeah, I know. My wife did the same thing. She just clapped like crazy. I looked at her. I said, hey, honey, what do you want for our anniversary? She looked at me and no joke said, honey... After 22 years of staring upon the fine specimen that you are, no earthly gift could compare. No joke. No joke she said that. The next event was my alarm going off and me waking from my slumber. (laughs) So in my mind, she really did. So that being said, I had already planned on uh, having a buddy of mine come and preach, many of uh, which you guys already know him. Um, Chad Spriggs is my brother in the Lord. I can honestly say that after only getting to know Chad and his family for a few months, they have become some of our closest friends. Uh, Amazing man in the Lord. Right now, he is currently working with the North American Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Conference. He is the Director of Assessments for Church Planting, um, and he has been a pastor for like over 20 years. So, Chad, come on up here if you would. Would you guys give him a big New Covenant round of applause and love? And before I step down, I do want to spend just a little bit of time. Let's just pray over our brother. And uh, like I said, I think more importantly than what he does is who he is. So this is a man that as you get to know him, he loves Jesus, connects with people so well. uh, And it has been easy to call him one of my best friends really quickly. So uh, we love this guy. We're going to pray for him right now. And then we're going to turn it over to our brother Chad. So let's pray together. Father, we just praise you for this morning that you have given to us, and we know that we are not guaranteed another day, so we're thankful that this is the day that you have given to us to worship you and to bring you honor and glory. Father, we lift up our brother Chad, and uh, just thank you that you have called him into your family, that you have called his whole family to yourself, and that, Lord, you are using them to make disciples of all nations. And so, Father, we ask that you would speak through him to us in mighty ways that hearts would be changed, minds would be changed, and Lord, even destinies and lives would be changed because of the good news of the message of Jesus. And Lord Jesus, it's in your mighty name that we all pray together. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you for having an anniversary too, right? Gives me an opportunity to be here with you. Thank you, church. Um, it, is, it is a privilege and an honor to be here and, and just to, to serve alongside you. It's, it's been a blessing to my family. Uh, to just be here for the last couple of months and get to know this family. Um, there, there's some, some, some beautiful things going on in, in the lives of New Covenant families. And so it's, it's just been a great, great opportunity for us. Uh, so thank you. Truly thank you from the bottom of our hearts. I, I do want to turn our attentions to something um, that may even seem a little cavalier to some of you because we talk about it and we think about it and it's just part of who we are as believers. But I want to turn our attentions to contemplate and to take note of the kindness of God. Not just the kindness that opens the door and allows someone in. Not the kindness of a nice greeting as we walk down the hallways. Not the kindness that uh, we receive from our kids when they wake up at 10 o'clock in the afternoon, right? 
No, the kindness of God. The perfect, unchanging, unwavering, consistent, pure kindness of God. And we're also going to unpack a little bit of the side of kindness that we don't think about often. It's the part of kindness that allows us to go through difficult times so that on the other side, we can fully embrace the fact that God has been there navigating and working and walking through these hard times with us because he is kind and he is good and he is faithful. And when we come to grapple with the level of kindness and power and authority that God has, what it does is it brings us to a point in our life where we are filled with praise. We are filled with worship. And all other things cease to matter. He matters. Let me give you um, just a glimpse of, of how this is actually happening in current times. My job as the director of assessment uh, for a portion of uh, North America has given me an opportunity to meet countless church planters uh, across the country, um, in Canada as well as the United States. And there's not one story that is the same, but there is one God behind all these stories. And he's weaving together plans for churches to be planted across North America and beyond that are going to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people that have never even heard the word good news. There's one particular story um, that comes from a time where I was in Denver at the Denver assessment. And uh, we'll, we'll call the church planter Amari. And Amari comes from Africa. Amari uh, was a religious leader in the area of Africa for many years. His, his level of authority within the religious group that he worked in would have been equated with the Pope. So he was very influential. The words that he shared were almost as if they were words shared by God. But in the midst of his leadership among this people group and this religious group, there was a stirring, an inconsistency, question that was in his heart. This religious group used the scriptures as part of their religious background. And so he turned to the scriptures to try to find the answers to the questions that he had on his heart. He set aside his traditions and he turned to the word of God. And he began to ask God, the God that he knew was out there but didn't truly understand who he was, to give him focus, to give him meaning, to give him purpose, to help him find the answers to these questions. And in the midst of his journey, in the midst of his prayers, in the midst of him seeking God, God revealed himself to him. 
And he came face to face with a life that had been lived in persecuting those that God truly loved. And he had to repent and turn away and give up all of the status and the position and authority that he had had. One of the first things that he did is go home to meet with his wife. Nayana, we'll call her Nayana, met him at the door. And Amari comes to Nayana and talks to her. And he says, all of this that's been happening and how God has met him and how he's repented and he's a sinner and he needs forgiveness. And he wants to lead his family in this direction to follow after Jesus and away from everything that they've done. And her first response was to fall on her knees and weep. It took him a little bit off guard at first because he wasn't sure what was going on. But when she regained composure, she shared with him a story that she had never shared with him before. That she'd been holding in her heart since she was seven years old. She grew up in an African village where an international mission board missionary came to visit. And her family, when she was seven years old, came to Christ. And they had to keep it secret. And the reason they had to keep it secret is because they could have been separated as a family. Her father could have been imprisoned or even killed. And her mother would have just been gone. Because that's the kind of world they lived in. So they kept this secret. And all of her life, she had known Jesus. And when she met Amari and married, she knew the position She knew the authority. She knew the direction of his life, but she simply continued to pray. She prayed for his soul. She prayed for his salvation. And she prayed and trusted that God would one day do a work that only God could do in him and through him. And he did. I'd love to say that the story ends there. But really, the kindness of God brought him to repentance. But then the kindness of a God, the kindness of God allowed him to go through so much anguish. Because immediately following, when he stepped away from his position, and he began to teach and preach the word of God and share the good news of Jesus and the hope that we can find in Jesus, the very first thing that happened were men began to pick up stones and stone him. This is current day. And not only did they stone him, but they stoned him to near death, picked him up, and threw him in prison. Burned down his house. And gave him no hope of ever getting out of prison. But by the grace of God, he did. And when he did get out of prison, he and his wife fled to the United States so they could have freedom from that persecution. And in Denver, there are many people that have left for that very same reason and landed in the Denver area. And now he has another captive audience of his people that he can share the good news with just up the mountains from us. One day, in the middle of him sharing, with some of the the families that he has met in Denver. A gentleman comes into the room 
and he immediately knows who he is. It's the gentleman that picked up the first stone. It's the gentleman that put him behind bars, turned the key, and walked away. But God was doing a work in Amari as well as this man. Because the very first conversation they had was about Jesus and how Jesus had met him. And he had left because of persecution to come to the United States as well. And how they could begin to be brothers. That this gentleman that was the persecutor had become a brother in Christ. This gentleman that nearly killed him would become the very one that would sit down and be a discipler and disciple him. God's kindness led them through torment. But God's kindness did not leave them there. God's kindness allowed them opportunity to continue to share in new ways. Now, we find ourselves at the very end of a two-day assessment in a small room with about 15 people. And we're beginning to read reports and share insights from all these assessors that have spent hours with these candidates. And when it comes to Amari and his wife, there's just a different countenance on the faces of the assessors. They begin to share their reports, and it's clear that there's just a difference in them because of the torment, the torture, the persecution, but also the restoration that they received from Jesus. There wasn't a, a dry eye in the room. The air was thick because we could feel the Lord in the room. And it didn't really stop there. You see, in the back of the room was a gentleman that came for Amari to support him and to encourage him and stand in the position of sending church. Every church planter that comes through has another church that's partnered with them for support, for discipleship, for prayer, for encouragement. And this man has an opportunity in this room to stand up and to share on behalf of Amari. And I ask him to stand and he begins to share and the very first words out of his mouth are these. It is my honor and privilege to come on behalf of Amari. For I was his very first prosecutor, persecutor. And I picked up stones to throw and kill him. And the very things that I thought I needed to do to bring harm to him. God used to bring good. It brought me to the Lord and it gave us an opportunity to come together to serve in the United States and it is my honor and privilege to be the very one that put him in prison but the very one to stand by him as he shares the good news. God's faithfulness. 
God's forgiveness, God's redemptive story, God's kindness. And as we finished our time together and we were praying or about to pray, I asked one of the assessors to pray and they couldn't because <laughs> they were just too emotionally wrapped up in it. I asked another the same. They couldn't even talk. And then I turned to the, the, the last assessor and uh, he is a military background, bivocational pastor, works for the military and it's pastoring a church there. Very strong, broad-chested man. <clears throat> Builds up the courage and he says, I'll pray. And it was probably the most wonderful prayer that I've ever heard. Not because he was eloquent. Not because he was intelligent beyond all of us in the room because it was honest, it was real. He had met with Jesus and we were in the midst of worship because of what God was doing, not only in their lives at that point, but in all of our lives because that's what the kindness of God does. Now since then, Amari has not turned away from his influence and thousands of people have been able to hear the good news because of his influence across that region. And thousands of people have come to Christ that now call Jesus their Lord, that now are brothers and sisters that we will see one day in heaven. Amen? Amen. Amen. The reality of this story and it being so current um, takes a little bit to swallow because it seems like something that we would read that happened thousands of years ago and that doesn't really happen anymore, right? Because we just don't live in a world like that anymore. But the reality is that we do. And the reality is we will probably begin to live in a world that looks more and more and more like that. And as believers, we can say that's okay because it gives God opportunity to show up and reveal his kindness in ways that only he can. And we get to be a part of it. As we turn our attentions to Romans, this story reminds me so much of the story and the conversation that Paul was having with the church in Rome as he began to unpack and began to, began to share and help them understand that the kindness of God was not just for the Jew, but it was for all people. And he very methodically, very logically, very intentionally plays out an entire, like, artful expression of God's kindness and love and forgiveness all through Romans, but particularly in 9, 10, and 11, begins to unpack this idea that, that Jesus loved the Jew, 
much like these people in Africa, thought that they were the ones, the only ones. That He pointed to the Jew and said, we know that you feel this way. We know that you are the chosen, that you have a special place because Jesus is even one of your people. But it's not just for you. It's for all others. It's for Gentiles just like you. And for many Jews, that became a stumbling block. It became something that made them prideful and angry. And they turned and wanted to even persecute and attack those that were outside of it. But for the Gentile, it was a hope that they had never had before. A way to know God. And a way to know and to receive an inheritance from Jesus. So they once were lost and now they were found. And these people were found and now they are embittered and lost. And Paul begins to say, but the kindness of God spoke into this setting. Allowing these people to know me. And allowing these people to be embittered. But that embitteredness was the kindest thing that God could do for them because it woke them up. And those that would wake up would recognize and see and receive the same love and forgiveness and repentance and transformation from Jesus Christ to make one body that would love and follow and cherish the kindness and love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. It's a very similar story where these people in Africa are being restored because of Amari sharing the good news with these individuals being raised up and then these that he was with for years being raised up to become one people. And Paul, at the end of his time sharing with them about these beautiful things that God is at work with, I can't help but wonder if he was writing and then just got caught up in the beauty and the power and the majesty of what he was sharing and just stopped. And he turns to worship and shares a doxology at the very end of chapter 11 that is a culmination of maybe him even just like lifting his arms and his eyes and his head and his heart up to the Lord and saying, thank you, God, so much for your kindness that works in all things and penetrates and moves through all things, good and bad. And we find him sharing in Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36, this culmination of worship that comes from recognizing the work of God. So would you turn with me to Romans chapter 11, starting in verse 33. And Paul says this, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For for him and through him and to him are all things. 
To him be glory forever. Amen. And amen. This is one of Paul's marvelous, extemporaneous doxologies. Paul is overwhelmed by the ways of God, his covenant faithfulness, his covenant inclusion, and his covenant consummation or enactment. His bringing together the fullness of God's intent and love for mankind was clear and evident in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Repeat after me. God is faithful. Humans are faithless. Hard to swallow? Do you begin to kick back at all and say, I've got faith? It might just be momentary, right? You might have great moments of faithfulness. Seconds later, followed by brokenness and ugliness. You can stand and make strong commitments to something so significant that you find yourself in history books. But months later, you're just like the rest of us, broken and inconsistent. That's moments of faith. But that's not faithfulness. And even in the midst of those faithful moments in our lives as believers, where does that faith come from? Not me. Not you. It comes from him. He is faithful, unchanging, unwavering, undeterred. Focused, passionate, pure, and always God. He is faithful. And apart from him, we are faithless. Let me ask you this. What things are happening in your life that are necessary? Good things and bad things that are necessary for God to continue to do a work in and through you. There are things that we'd rather not talk about. There are things that we would rather just pretend don't happen. But God's faithfulness can use those things. There are things that we want to celebrate and we want to champion and we want to say, look at me. But maybe that's a moment for us to say, look at Romans eleven thirty three through 36 again says this. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For for him... And through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever.
I can't help but wonder if Amari would have read this or is even reading this and he would recognize and see the beauty of God's faithfulness and how God was the one that sustained him through all those times and that God is the very reason that he lives and his family is still together. And at the end of the day, what he wants to do is bring about the honor and glory of God in all that he does. And on those very last days of his life, looking back at this journey of persecution and torture, but kindness and love and forgiveness, that he can say that he did the things that God wanted him to do. I don't only hope that for him. I hope that for all of us. We do know that Paul said that about himself. The very end of his missionary journeys. He essentially says this. He says, I've come to the end. There's nowhere else for me to go. And God has done a work and he's been faithful. And I have done the things that he's put before me. His end goal was never about himself. It was always about God. And he knew that the ups and downs were all to be used by God to bring about his glory. Let's turn our attentions just briefly to the first section of that doxology. And maybe what we can do is give ourselves permission, give ourselves an opportunity to just simply Hear what scripture says about God and respond in worship. At your seat, allow your heart to feel, allow your mind to think, allow your ears to hear about the power that only God has. The first thing that's described in that section of scripture is this, the depth of God's riches, wisdom, and knowledge. The depths of his riches, wisdom, and knowledge. There's not a day that goes by that we don't try to outthink, outfigure, and outmanipulate whatever's in front of us. But we will fall short. But he will not. His judgments, they're unsearchable. Have you ever found yourself trying to figure out God, ask why. I'm sure the church in Rome was in an uproar about what was happening and wanting to turn their attentions to why would God do this or that? It's no different than we are. But what Paul reminds us in this doxology is this. God's judgments, they're unsearchable. They're not for us to understand. 
They're for us to trust, to find freedom. It's not a burden we must carry. He's made it light for us. How untraceable are his ways. Who has known God's mind? Who has been God's counselor? He needs no counsel. He needs no help. He needs no care. Because he is our help. And he is our care. Who has ever given to God that he would need to be repaid? Anything that we do, anything that we say, anything that we give was first given to us by God. There is no way that we can repay what was first given to us by the one that we're giving it back to. So what is our response? Rather than trying to pay him back, what does he ask? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. To be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing, because this is your spiritual act of worship. That is what he asks. He asks of us to just lay ourselves down, to be his, to worship, and to live a life that emulates Christ. As followers of Christ, as brothers and sisters, we have core motivations. In the last part of this doxology, we find a few that we probably could benefit from turning to often, reminding us positionally of where we are and where he is. And so let us just spend a few moments reminding ourselves of the things that should truly motivate us and drive us through our day. Paul finishes this doxology by saying all things are for him, all things are through him, and all things are to him. So let's begin with that first one. All things are for him. All things are for him, not for you. All things are for him, not for your family. All things are for him, not necessarily for this church. All things are for him, not anything else that would drive you or motivate you or, or lead you in a direction. All things are for him. So every thought that you have, every possession that you own, every relationship that you are blessed with, all for him. Understanding this, how can knowing that all things are for him give you the strength and the peace to face life's challenges and respond like Jesus? 
Not respond like yourself when you don't get what you want. Or even when you get what you want. Not responding like yourself. But responding out of worship for what God is doing in that moment. Because it is for Him and nothing else. Second, all things are through Him. There is nothing that you have control over in reality. But God does. And when we allow God to be not just a passenger with us through this life, but we allow God to be the conduit in which we walk our lives through and that he takes on every fabric and form and piece of who we are as we walk through it, think through it, live through it, talk through it, breathe through it. It all becomes his strength through us. We are crucified, and it is Christ that lives in and through. So Paul says all things are through him. How does knowing all things are through him change the way that you face each day? The things that you have on your to-do list, the things that you know need to get done over the next month, the responsibilities that you have as a parent, as a coworker, as a business owner, all of those things as believers should be accomplished through him, not through and it changes the very way that you live your day. And then the last motivator. All things are to him. The very end of your life. You'll be remembered by some, you'll be remembered for their entire life. And others may have fond memories occasionally. But really, the things that we should be remembered for is that everything that we did, we did to bring Jesus to others. That the words that come out of our mouth, the end result should be bringing honor and glory to God. The position that we put ourselves in at work, what we do with our time and our energies and our resources should all bring about the end result of God being glorified. Because it's all to Him. Not your kids not your grandkids, not your current stability. It's all for him. How does knowing all things are to him change the way that you position yourself to interact or respond to life? I'm telling you, when we believe through all things are for him and through him and to him, it creates a peace 
and a confidence and a foundation that's firm no matter what's going on around us. Because it's all His and we are His. The final part of that is the reminder. The doxology ends with, to Him be glory forever. And that begins now. In our lives, in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions. Bring Him glory. Even when things seem hard or even impossible, His kindness is at work. Some pain, isolation, trauma, even bitterness can result in the restoration of not only yourself, but of many, many others. Think about it this way. Your troubles are not just yours. They present opportunity for God to do a broader work with those around you as they see you respond in worship in the good times and the bad times. Your victories are not just God's provisions for you. They should serve as reminder to everyone that God is active and wants us to thrive. The key to this kind of life is found in God's faithfulness. It's found in God's faithfulness, not mankind's. It's God's mercy, not mankind's performance. God is calling you to himself for his purposes. His purposes to bless you and to allow you to be the conduit of blessing to others. He has chosen you to be his blessing to the rest of the world. So what shall we do with that? Romans eleven twenty two says this, Therefore consider, take note of the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you will be cut off as well. And his kindness is even available to those that have been cut off because it's those moments of distance from God that helps us to realize what we've truly missed out on. So may we be a people that take note, that consider, that focus in on God's kindness at all turns of life so that we may turn to praise, that we may be a people of worship, a peculiar people that think different, that act different, and do different because we know a God that is creator of all and powerful and not held by the ways of man. Let me leave you with this. As we turn our attentions to communion, as we close out our time together, allow yourself to begin to think through these few simple things as you prepare your heart, your mind, and your soul to take communion. I challenge you to let go 
of anything that causes you to feel like God isn't always working things out for the betterment and expressing his glory. Don't ever feel alone. Feel like he's always at work. I need you to lean in to discovering the power of God that is active in your life. You're not alone. And I I challenge you to lead others to discovering how life-changing knowing God can be. I ask the worship team to come up as we just continue to think through and, and just wrestle with the power and might and majesty of who God is. And the fact that there is not one thing that is in our life, good or bad, that is outside the privy of God. And he is using all of these things to bring about his glory. And if his glory is brought to light, it is the very best thing for us. As we continue our series in Revelation, be reminded that one of the overarching themes of Revelation is this. God wins. His glory, his power is unmatchable. And yes, there will be torment. There will be hard times. But God is faithful and his promises endure. So let us live in a way that finds confidence and peace in him. He came to us as man to demonstrate what it would look like for God to be like us. And he took on the weight of the world's sin for all time so that we could have relationship with him so that we could take part in the power and love and kindness and forgiveness that God offers through Jesus Christ. As we turn our attentions to communion and we're reminded that Jesus' body was broken and his blood was spilled, let that reflect on the extent that God will go to love you and the extent that we must go to love others. Let's pray. Father, we just commit this time to you. Lord, we pray for your love, your life, your sacrifice, your resurrection, your power to be evident in our lives that we live lives that are broken and contrite before you and that you pick us up and make us useful for your kingdom. And God, as we turn our attentions to communion, Lord, we pray that, that you bring to life, to attention, the things that we need to just wrestle with, that we need to lay down, that we need to trust you with, that we need to repent of, surrender, and run to you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. 
We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us.